The 2023 freshman class of the U.S. Congress was sworn in late because of problems selecting a Speaker of the House. In fact, it took 15 ballots to determine the winner. Among those newly elected representatives was a former Smith County judge. What was his first year like, and what does he expect in the second half of his term? To find out, UT Tidal Radio connects with Texas 1st District Congressman Nathaniel Moran. Here's your host, Mike Landis. It takes Kevin McCarthy 15 ballots to become House Speaker a year ago, and 10 months to get voted out, which is a first in American history. What a way to start a congressional career. The traffic jam in the House often seems as bad as Saturday traffic on South Broadway in Tyler. Yeah, sometimes worse, and I know it's hard to imagine uh, something worse than South Broadway traffic in, in Tyler, but, uh, you know, it's... It's been a unique uh, unique year for a number of reasons, not just the Speaker's election after 15 ballots, but the, the very slim majority that now is slimmer by the end of the year and is going to get even slimmer now that uh, Kevin McCarthy is leaving before uh, before the beginning of next year. And Santos has gone as well. And Santos has gone as well, so now we're down to a two-seat uh, majority. Uh, all of that is, is historic, and the removal of Santos was historic. It was only the third time since the Civil War that we've uh, remove somebody from the House of Representatives. So a lot of historic things going on this year. But that's kind of what happens when you're in the middle of some very tough change. And when you're, frankly, when you're in the middle of, I think, uh, what I observe is some transition between sort of this, this, this guard that's been there for 15, 20, 25 years, a lot of whom are retiring, and then kind of this new guard of folks that came in in the last uh, one, two, three, four elections that are asserting kind of this new a view of politics and new view of how the legislature should work. I could sandbag you and ask you about term limits, but I won't do it unless you want to talk about it. I'm willing to talk about whatever you want to talk about, Mike, because every one of these every one of these topics is important. And a lot of times what we find in, in these topics is, is the conversation to understand others, others' positions is really important, too, because even when you talk about term limits, I, I can give a great debate on both sides of the issue and say, Oh, yes, we definitely need term limits because we don't want to see people that are lifetime politicians, and we don't want to see that happen. But then on the other side, I can say, well, yeah, but if you know if your term limits are too short, then the people running Washington, D.C. are going to be the lobbyists and the staff members. And you can certainly say there are already term limits that exist through the electorate. Every two years we get elected, we're, we're almost back in a primary. So, you know, you can make a case reasonably for both sides – and here's, here's one of the really important things I, I would like for folks to remember as they engage in political discussion is we have to be willing to understand that there are valid differences of opinions in this country. There's so much vitriol and hate towards people that don't hold our political positions that, that that's becoming the problem in the conversation is we cannot have a statesmanlike conversation about issues where we can agree to disagree sometimes and when we can work through those tough issues in a tough conversation. Actually, I've, I've heard many people discuss the whole idea that the biggest problem in society today is the end of civility. We just can't be civil with each other. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And that, and that happens at Congress. And what's exacerbated that issue is uh, social media. And we used to talk about it in terms of the 24-hour news cycle because in the late 90s and the early 2000s, that's what was driving things was that 24-hour news cycle. Well, now it's like an hour. Oh, no. It's like the 24 minutes news cycle you, now. You can't, even, you can't even keep up now because no. uh, if you're not making an impression in social media almost hour by hour, minute by minute now, well, then you're, you're behind the game. And so you've got to do something to raise your profile, or at least that's what it feels like. 
And what I've told my staff is let's remain steady. Let's remain uh, statesmanlike in everything that we do. Uh, let's treat everybody with equal and eternal value. I've talked about that before with you, and, and that's really important to me. Uh, Democrats and Republicans alike, building those relationships so that we can work through these things in a, a in a collegial matter, manner. I mean, that's what that's what uh, a legislative body is supposed to do. They're supposed to do, disagree, take tough stands. Uh, and as a lawyer, I had to do that. I advocated strongly for my client, and the other lawyer on the other side advocated strongly for his client. But at the end of the day, we walked away as friends, and we understood we had a professional ethic to one another to engage with one another on a higher level. And certainly to to the people that you represented as as clients or whatever. And in this case, now it's your, your constituency. Uh, You've taken on this job of representing East Texas and the 1st Congressional District with great gusto. You were appointed to key committees this year. You traveled internationally, all while staying in touch with voters back home. Give our listeners some of the highlights of Nathaniel Moran's first year on the Hill. Well, I must start by saying that my my highlight always is coming back to the district and engaging with uh, groups of individuals back here. This morning before I came, I was over at one of the local schools talking to fifth graders, hearing them recite the preamble of the Declaration of, of Independence. And it gave me great joy to see that happening in our schools locally and to engage with them about their calling that they have in their life and to follow that call And that's the kind of thing that gives me energy. I left there feeling very energized, and I need that when I'm back in the district. And engaging with East Texans does that for me. I love those interrelationships, those interpersonal relationships. Going back to Washington, D.C. is just a drain. It just drains the energy and the life out of you. It sucks the life out of you. But being here in East Texas is always my highlight. Tonight I'm going to be in Bowie County. So we're going to make the the drive two hours and 15 minutes up to Texarkana, and we're going to hit a bunch of places in between. And so engaging with people is always the highlight of the year for me. Um, When we're talking about things in D.C., one of the things I'm most proud about this year is uh, I got appointed to chair the Transatlantic Legislative Dialogue. It's it's been a decades-long dialogue between the European Parliament and uh, the the United States Congress. Uh, They don't typically select a a freshman. I, I got named as chair this year, got to lead a bipartisan delegation over to Stockholm, Sweden in June. We engaged in some very important topics, 10 members of U.S. Congress with uh, members of the European Parliament talking about things like China and trade and agriculture and Ukraine, those very tough issues that are that they're facing and we're facing uh, worldwide. And then here this last weekend, uh, we returned the favor and we hosted them in, in Washington, D.C. They brought over their delegation and we, we talked about some new topics like uh, artificial intelligence and what they're doing and what we're doing and trying to compare notes and trying to figure out Uh, how we can learn from one another, and how, frankly, we can stand together against malign influences across the world like China and Iran and and Russia and Hamas. We talked a lot about Israel and how we can stand in the Middle East. Those are important dialogues to have, uh, and I I felt very privileged to be able to lead that bipartisan delegation both over there and here uh, to find areas of consensus. Again, not, not ever compromising our principles. But to be the voice of East Texans on the worldwide stage and say, listen, Europe, this is what we think in East Texas about what's going on in these very important matters. Because sometimes all they hear is just the voices over there. They need to hear Texas voices. And they need to hear specifically East Texas voices say, we have a different perspective on some things. And here's what we think about it. So that was probably the highlight personally for me in Washington, D.C. 
From what you said early on, I was sort of picturing you as a congressional version of an EV where you had to go get recharged before you went back out there and tried to handle the roadways again. Yeah, that's 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 about what it is right there. Um, uh, the, the recharge does happen with my family back home, making sure that I'm carving out time with them. Sundays have been really protected and important to us to spend family time together in church, spend time with the kids before I go back. But, you know, when we have, like, historically, we're talking about how historic this session has been. We had a period of time this fall where we were in session 10 straight weeks, first time in more than 50 years that that's happened. It's historic. And when you go through that 10-week run, uh, by the end of the time, uh, you're really irritated with a lot of people in Washington, D.C. You're ready to get back to the people you love and the people that you're closest to in East Texas. That brings me to my next question. In the time that I've gotten to know you better, you seem to approach issues, problems, or log jams with a let's get this fixed attitude, let's address it. Are you more pragmatic these days than when you were first sworn in? I didn't say jaded. I said pragmatic. I've always been pragmatic in my approach. And one of the things that I talked about uh, when I ran for Congress was finding the intersection between being pragmatic and principled. Because there is that intersection. A lot of times we want to, in politics, uh, create this uh, notion that those two cannot coexist at the same time. And I I don't believe that. Uh, I think that our uh, historically in our nation, we've had a lot of uh, great statesmen that found a way to remain true to their principles, but pragmatically work through the process that is supposed to be tough. I mean, our founding fathers set it up to be very tough uh, to get anything passed, but to work through that process to get something done at the back end. And in this day, uh, we have to recognize not just on the Republican side where I am that we have a slim majority, but we have a Democratic Senate. We have a Democratic president. If we want anything done, we've got to be able to work pragmatically with those other branches. Otherwise, we're just blowing in the wind and uh, spitting in the wind, and that's just not going to work. That never works for anybody. Actually, it seems at times where even though that does – to to the average person, I would say to any sensible person, that would make perfect sense that – People just didn't care. I mean, they still wanted to fight. I mean, I'm thinking about the, the senator, the former MMA fighter that was calling out somebody, hey, let's go out in the hall and settle this right now. I mean, it's like, whoa, what's happened? Well, th- there is a little, lot of vitriol in Washington, D.C. And again, that, that gets you uh, noticed on the on national uh, media, th- this this kind of behavior of, of saying – uh, you know, I want to be out as outlandish or outrageous as possible, and that gets you higher markings and ratings. And there's a lot of news media outlets that flock to that, both on the right and the left. And so what you see on, on TV is kind of most of the time, it's the 10 or 15% on each side uh, of the aisle. It's both sides of the aisle that are attention seekers. And what I tell folks all the time is you, you got your show ponies and you got your workhorses. There's a lot of great workhorses in Congress. On both sides of the aisle, and I'll say that to anybody, that are trying to get some good things done. We have honest differences of opinion about how to get it done, but there's some really great people that are trying to do the work day in and day out, going to committee, uh, taking the tough votes, studying, doing the work behind the scenes, and then there's people that are just looking for the camera. And those people suck up all the airtime and unfortunately represent to the rest of the nation what they believe is actually going on in D.C. or what should happen in D.C., and I can tell you that's false. That's good to know. It's my observation that the nature of serving in Congress is term one, uh, term year one, I should say, you do all you can. And term year two, you do all you can, but you have to line up donors and plan your next campaign. Are are you just about to hit that balance if you haven't already? How's it going? What what I've also uh, told my staff from the very beginning is let's let's not worry about 
campaigning. Let's worry about doing the job day in and day out. Because if we're doing the job day in and day out, people in East Texas know. They know whether or not you're trying to sell them a bill of goods, whether or not you're just being friendly to them because you want them to donate to you for your campaign. And, you know, unfortunately, money is a, a necessary part of what we're doing because we have to use that money to then communicate out the ideas and uh, and to try to to travel to places, to do the things that we need to do for East Texans, whatever it is that's that's going on. So that's a necessary evil, as it were. But that, can't, that cannot be the focus of what we do day in and day out. You do have to find that balance. But our founding fathers made this a two-year term, which means after about 12 months, you're already running again. And for you know, for us, the, the election is just in less than 90 days away uh, already. And I've only been in office 11 months. So uh, it comes quickly, but it, it keeps you uh, closer to the people. And that's why the House of Representatives is known as the People's House. And it should be because – you are constantly having to be in front of everybody in your district, not like a senator that has six years and you kind of feel this malaise in years two or three or four before they start gearing up in year five for another run. You have to be consistently in front of your folks or they're going to know you're not being authentic and you have to be authentic in this position. What would you say is the most important thing that you've learned since going to Washington for the people of East Texas? I think the most important thing I've learned uh, is just a reaffirmation of uh, the fact that we we here in East Texas do not have it wrong. We actually have it right. There's a lot of craziness in this world. There is a lot of craziness in this world. Uh, but but in East Texas, uh, when you talk to people at church, at school, on the street, it doesn't matter. When I go to these community events, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a Democrat or Republican. There is a lot of common ground in faith and family and freedom. Those those concepts that are so important to our uh, our way of life. I was talking to this fifth grade class this morning about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and and the goal of what our Declaration of Independence was and our Constitution. And when you talk to people on the street in East Texas, again across the political spectrum. It's it's really a very uh, very big consensus on most of those issues. How we get there? Sure, there's some wrangling, but we treat each other very well here in East Texas, and we can be an example for how the rest of the United States needs to behave if we'll just remain steady and strong in that. But I would I would continue to encourage our folks in East Texas: don't get drawn into the vitriol of politics, because I've said this from the beginning too. People do not uh, the the people that that believe in a Judeo-Christian ethic should recognize that when you step into the political realm, the rules of engagement do not change. How we treat people, how we talk to people, how we behave should not change just because we're in politics now. So let's remind ourselves of that. What remains on your to-do list when you get back to work in 2024? What kinds of goals have you set for your office or for yourself personally? Yeah, what we've decided this first year is we've we've dug in to do a lot of the groundwork and we've we've tried to learn the process hard. And I came back after the August recess and told my folks, okay, now we've got our uh, we've got our sea legs. Uh, let's start pushing forward, pushing forward in both our communications and our legislative efforts to to push the boundaries a little bit to try to uh, involve ourselves more in some of these uh, uh, some of the mishmash of the the day to day decisions. 
uh, that are outside of committee work necessarily. And so we've already begun doing that. Our goal for 2024 is to push forward with a couple of bills that we we think are really good bills. Uh, our balanced budget amendment is one of them, our principal space balanced budget amendment that we think really needs to get pushed forward. Uh, we also want to uh, stand strongly with our Border Security Investment Act, my very first bill that we put put forward. And then we've got some local bills um, that we're, we're trying to push forward to get additional radar service in, in this area. But it's now taking what we've learned with, about the district and about the process and meshing the two to find an effective solution to some things. I was meeting with some folks in Gregg County last uh, two weeks ago and then, and then last week to work on an issue that's really important to them. And we want to keep pushing forward those local issues as they come up to stand with our county judges and our, and our sheriffs and our, and our city managers and those folks that are closest to the people that are hearing what they need and for us to stand in the gap for them in Washington, D.C. Any specific projects that have been brought to you that you will help push forward? I mean, from the East Texas area, people have come to Washington and said, we really need a, and you've said, I'll do what I can. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got we've got some infrastructure projects because when you talk about the federal nexus, what we don't want to do is get involved in in, in local local stuff. We want to have a federal nexus, and uh, a lot of times it's regulatory bar- barriers where uh, folks are trying to get projects done, in particular oil and gas projects. But permitting is getting held up by uh, the executive branch, and so we need to involve ourselves and try to push forward with permitting reform. We've been working with right now um, our educational institutions trying to make sure that as we reauthorize the Higher Education Act that we do so in a manner that's constructive to them. Uh, This week, we're going to be taking up the WIOA reauthorization, which is Workforce Innovation Opportunities Act. And so my staff is fully engaged with uh, the COGS in the area and the economic development folks so that we understand how they want us to push that forward as well. But local governments have come to us about infrastructure needs for airports, for roads in particular, for rail service. Those, those in particular, we're working on right now for uh, a few of our communities. Actually, you mentioned radar, and of course, that's very interesting. There are two radar setups, one in Shreveport and one in Dallas. And the curvature of the earth is such that we kind of have to pick out the little bits and pieces. Tornado comes through, big front, big storms, heavy winds, that sort of thing. We have to take what we can get, sometimes bouncing back and forth between Shreveport and information from Shreveport and information from Dallas. Having a radar facility here would be great. Yeah, it would be great. And it's interesting because as I filed that bill and started talking about that bill, I didn't realize how many other groups uh, saw that as with great importance. And so they've come out of the woodworks and said, hey, by the way, did you know that there's uh, another two, three, four issues that we need to solve? And as a result of filing that bill, now we've had another three or four conversations with other groups that are talking to us about other science and weather-related issues in East Texas that we weren't aware of that we may uh, get involved with in the next year. Debbie Lesko has a really good bill out of out of Arizona that uh, that we want to uh, try to help support as well that that, that helps with uh, with local emergency management. We uh, we've been involved pretty heavily with local radio folks as well. Uh, I mean that's kind of irrelevant because of what we're doing today, but there's a lot of local radio stations that. Uh, need to be protected from federal influence and federal uh, hammering down uh, on some issues, and and we need to we need to make sure that they remain uh, a primary source of information because, frankly, local radio is a great source. Of well, information. I, I, let me digress for just a moment and say that this is, if I'm not mistaken, this is the AM radio issue where the Detroit automaker said, you know, we don't think we're going to put AM radios in cars anymore, and 
I read one story just recently, uh, someone who was actually a, a government representative saying, hey, you know, when a big storm hits, I have to go to my car and turn the radio on to find out what's going on because all the power's out. That's right. That's That was one of the big issues this, this year, and we were able to uh, advocate strongly for keeping the AM uh, systems in, in cars because it is, a at the very base of it, it is a... Uh, primary source of communication from local community to local community about what's going on locally. And uh, it's a reliable source of information, not just from accuracy of the the data given, but also from uh, the actual frequency itself. So that's, you know, that's one of the things we helped them with. But also, you know, you've got uh, the federal government trying to uh, meddle about potential imposition of additional fees for playing uh, certain things on the radio that have not traditionally been been fee-based. And that could really harm our local radio stations. They can't sustain those additional fees. Uh, and we don't want to see them disappear. We want to see them stay. Uh, final thoughts to share with your East Texas constituents before you go. Uh, my final thought would be to say thank you. Uh, I always want to be cognizant of the fact that this is a huge privilege to be in Congress, to be able to serve. I, I count, it, count it as joy to wake up every day to be able to do something that I feel called to do and I love to do, I'm, I'm passionate about. And I know that I only have that privilege because people in East Texas gave me that that ability to do that. And I'm grateful for them uh, to be able to do it. It's, it really has been the highest honor this past uh, year to be able to serve uh, for East Texas and be the voice of East Texas in D.C., and uh, I'm looking forward to another great year. It's going to be it's going to be a challenging year, 2024. There's a lot of political mess going on with all the elections. It's just going to be unpredictable, and I think it's going to be historic. But we in East Texas, if we remain steady, to our, and strong, and rooted in our principles, we're going to be just fine. Thanks for listening to UT Tyler Radio Connects with Nathaniel Moran, U.S. Representative from the First District of Texas. For a transcript of this episode, visit our website, uttitlerradio.org. To be notified of future episodes, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For Mike Landis, I'm Jeff Johnson. Thanks for listening to UT Tyler Radio Connects from UT Tyler Radio 99.7 FM.